0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Matt. I am the youth pastor here. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Um, as we start this morning, um, I want to tell you, um, I don't have any pictures of the parade float today, but the parade float is sitting out there in our entryway. Uh, yesterday was an amazing day. We had a huge group of people we had that were dressed in superhero costumes. Um And we are going to have this all posted soon on our website. We had a photographer, and we had one of Dan's sons taking video, and we it was an amazing day. We passed out over a 1,000 flyers with information about our church. And at the end of the parade, what was really cool, um, a lot of kids were running up to take pictures with all of our superheroes. And Phil Gannison made his own bat suit, um, and it is the most amazing bat suit in the world. When you see it, you're going to wonder where he bought it from, but he made that along with making our float with a team. And so it was a really amazing day yesterday on the Sunset Fest Parade. So I just wanted to start with that. It's It was a really fun time, and uh, I was really proud of our church. We did not win the parade float contest. Um, but hold on, hold on. Um, Michael Jordan didn't win the MVP every year, but... So, uh, no, but our purpose isn't to go win. Our purpose is to go take pride in the parade, and take pride in going out to our community and showing them what we're all about, and I think we succeeded in that in a great way, so wanted to just mention that up front, because it was a really fun day. Um, also, Jess and I, some big news in our life. We got a dog, and uh, his name is Ash, and he is the cutest dog, um, and so I just, I, he doesn't tie into anything else I'm going to say today, um, but I... I wanted to include a picture of him to start, um, so if you ever come by our house or just walk around downtown Huntley, you'll get to meet him because we're always walking him. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for beautiful weather and for just chances to go out in our community and just share your light and to just be able to smile and laugh with people from all over. Uh, Father, we pray as we gather this morning that Um, The words that I speak would not be my own, but would be from your spirit. I pray that the study that went into this passage would be communicated well. What you have revealed would, would prick all of our ears, that we would just hear your words. I pray that we would come away knowing our gracious and merciful God, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who will relent from disaster if we will turn to you. We pray that we would take those words to heart and that we would also learn a lot as we look in the story of Jonah. Well, today's sermon... Oh, amen. I forgot to say amen. So, good start. Um, Today, uh, our, our sermon title today is Bovine Mercy, and we're going to be looking in the story of Jonah. And by the end, the sermon title will make a lot of sense. Um, and we're going to look through the whole book of Jonah. If you've got your green sheet, um, I actually have the whole book there. Um, it's the, the first half, chapters one and two are on the front page. Second page has the whole rest of the book. It's a very small book, and I also believe it's best communicated all at once. Um, our students did a retreat where we actually dramatically read it together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, as we read today, I want to encourage you that Jonah is a very funny book. Um, Jonah is satire we're going to see in your on your sheet and on the screen anytime the word great appears in Jonah the word great in the Hebrew it's this word of exaggerated greatness it shows up in Jonah more times than pretty much anywhere else in the Old Testament and it's a four chapter book it's it's a very funny book but it's also a very challenging book because we don't know a whole lot about Jonah um, and what we do know is not very good. But we're going to jump into the text, and I hope by the end you'll be challenged, but I hope we'll also laugh a little bit. Um, And so we're just going to jump in right now. And so verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So right off the bat, we find out that Jonah is the son of Amittai, who he is. We don't know, and it's not a huge deal, but this ties us to something that happens in Second Kings. Jonah the prophet was a prophet in Israel after Israel and after Israel had split into two kingdoms and he was a prophet in the ten kingdoms. Um he was also a prophet for a wicked king, and the king was Jeroboam the second. And I, I just bring this up at the start because uh Jonah gives a prophecy to Jeroboam about Israel taking back some land. And they take back the land at the word of the Lord that came through Jonah, the son of Amittai. And then the very next thing that happens in 2 Kings is it explains this happened even though the people were super wicked because God had not yet promised to blot out their nation. And so Jonah's prophecy is not the prophecy of an amazing prophet. It's the prophet of a, a wi- or a prophecy of a wicked king. And so all we know about Jonah outside this passage, not very good. Now, we also in here, we note that it's not just arise, go to Nineveh. It's go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh is described as a great city over and over. The Lord stresses the size of this city, and that's going to become more and more important as we go. And so let's continue. So the Lord tells Jonah to go there and call out against it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah hears this call from the Lord, and what does he do? He immediately runs to a port that would not have been a Hebrew port. He runs out of Israel. He goes to people that are willing to travel as far away as humanly possible from Nineveh, and he goes. And he he rises to flee, and he's not just fleeing. It says over and over, he fled from the presence of the Lord. And this, uh, in, a, in theological terms, this is something that is crazy um, for a prophet. If he has any understanding of who God is, the worst thing you can do is be far from the presence of the Lord. In the garden, Adam and Eve were in the presence of the Lord, and because of sin, they were removed. And the books of Moses are all about ways through the law that we can go back into his presence. And ultimately, when Christ comes, Christ died, the temple curtain tore so that we could be in the presence of God. And right now, this prophet is not fleeing from anything less than the presence of the Lord. So that's like a warning flag. Um, if, if me or Dan or, or Rich said, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord today, I would hope you would find a new church um, because that would not be a good thing. And, and the explicitness of it over and over in the text just draws attention because a lot of times Jonah is preached or, or taught as afraid, And by the end of this story, because some people think that Jonah was was worried about his life, if he goes to Nineveh, they're such a wicked people, they'll kill him. But that's not the case. Jonah does not fear for his life. That will become more and more clear as we read. But what is clear is that Jonah does not want to be in the presence of the Lord, so he goes the opposite direction as where God called him. And so we continue. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, as I studied, I I came to a couple conclusions about where Tarshish was. And the the main conclusion is it's really far away. Um, I, I don't feel great about saying exactly where it was from my study. But what I will tell you is these sailors that were headed there would have been sailors willing to go pretty far in the known world on the water. And so the fact that when God hurls this mighty wind, they're willing immediately to say, we got to cry out to our gods, that's that's a sign that this is an unusual moment for them. This is a great wind, a mighty tempest, a great tempest, and the the sailors hurl their cargo. The whole reason for going is to just sell this cargo or do whatever, and they, they hurl it off almost immediately. They call out to their gods, it's a moment where, where they are so afraid right away of a storm that is unlike any they've seen. And and it's it's while they're doing this that, that we come back to where Jonah is. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. If Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord in fear of his life, I think he'd have a little more trouble sleeping. But the, the text says he was fast asleep, not just asleep, he was really asleep he wasn't just like trying to fall asleep with a pillow over his head trying to be like i hope this storm goes away soon he was just knocked out in this moment in fact he's so uh, the the text goes on to describe it even further the captain came and said to him what do you mean you sleeper the captain calls him a sleeper like how on earth are you asleep right now the captain comes down in fear and says what the heck is going on how can you be sleeping arise call out to your god Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So the captain of this boat, the leader of this boat, is at the point where he's like, we're in so much trouble, I'm going to go wake up our passenger and maybe his prayer will save us. That's not like step one in a storm for most people, I don't think. Um, that, that, that's a pretty far down thing. But, but so desperate are the sailors and this captain that they go wake this guy up and say, why are you sleeping? You should be praying. And Jonah comes back up, and all the sailors and Jonah, they say to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And Jonah responds to them, and he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were greatly afraid. And they said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, now the fact that they took him as a passenger, even though they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, um, in, in our modern context may seem a little silly, but in their culture... Um, We don't know what these sailors worshipped. We know they each cried out to their own God. Um, But in that day, the the reality of most religions, most polytheistic religions, was that there would have been gods of all different things, but the one place that it was, was kind of outside the realm of man's understanding was the deep, the ocean, the water, the sea. And so when Jonah's response to them, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, and the Lord is the one who created the land and the sea, This is a theological thought bigger than their God's. And when Jonah tells them that, they hear that and they are exceedingly afraid. There's a God who made the land and the sea. There's a God whose power is that great. And they see it in action because the storm is getting worse and worse. And they're exceedingly afraid. And they're like, what have you done? Why are you fleeing? Why did you get on our ship? What have you done? And they go on and they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And Jonah says to them, and, and this is the first point. If we, I, I, I say that uh, Jonah is not fearful of his life. Jonah's response to the sailors is, pick me up and hurl me. The word hurl here is exactly the same word as the Lord hurled the wind. They hurled the cargo, hurled Jonah. Jonah's, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, when we read this, some of us might think Jonah feels guilty in this moment. Jonah, Jonah's saying, I, this calamity has befallen you because of me. Um, but but the, it's, I don't think so. I don't think Jonah is being altruistic. He's being, oh, no, you're going to die because of me. What Jonah is thinking in this moment is, I don't really want to call out to God. And we'll see proof of that as we keep going. But what, what Jonah says in this moment to them, how how different would this story be if Jonah said, you know what, guys, i got to stop fleeing. I'm going to pray. Turn the boat around. Jonah doesn't say that. Jonah doesn't try to call out to God. The captain said, cry out to your God. Who knows? Maybe he'll save us. The sailors cried out to their gods. All Jonah has said is, I fear this God. But that's the only time he's referenced him. He doesn't cry out to his God. Instead, he says, throw me in the water. I'll die, but you guys will be okay. And and the sailors' response is so much better than Jonah's. Because nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Jonah has not cried out, but these people are trying to help him do what he should be doing. Jonah stopped fleeing. But Jonah does not want to go back. He does not want to do the mission of God. So he says, hurl me into the sea. And, And it's in this moment where they are more righteous than him that they... They realize they're not going to make it back. And they say, therefore, they called out. The sailors called out to the Lord. O Lord, the Lord that they just heard about, who is the God who created the land and sea. And it's please, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. Listen to their humility. They cry out, Lord, forgive us as we take this action. It appears to be all the only way for us to be saved. In this moment. And and then they finally they hurl Jonah, and they picked him up and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They started off greatly afraid of a storm. And at the end of this story, they fear the Lord exceedingly. And what do they do? They offer a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So in this story, a Hebrew gets on a boat. Full of polytheistic non-Hebrew people, and they go out in the water, and he tells them the name of the Lord doesn't really give them a whole lot of information about them, and they wind up making sacrifices and vows to that god. That's pretty incredible, but but for Jonah, this is not very good um, because what happens next is the Lord appointed a fi- a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Um, the the word the Lord appointed. We're going to see a few times as the Lord works through nature and creation to try and change Jonah's heart. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... And, and before we jump into the prayer, I just want to point out it's really important to note. Jonah gets hurled into the water he gets swallowed up by a great fish that the Lord appointed, and it takes him three more days before he finally prays. It is so ridiculous when you read this text that Jonah does not repent sooner. He does not call out sooner. And I say that as we go in, because as we read this prayer, this prayer is beautiful at first glance, and then as you think about it, it's crazy. And so I'm really excited for us to read this prayer together, because this prayer of Jonah, after three days and three nights, After fleeing from the presence of the Lord, these are the words he has for God when he finally speaks to him. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. That's all good so far. And and then Jonah goes on to say, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now, what's interesting here is that you cast me into the deep. And, and and did God tip over the boat? Did God do anything to cast Jonah into the deep? No, but Jonah sees this as God's fault. And so Jonah's say, saying here, "You, this is your fault. I'm down here, even if he's saying it in a thankful way, as we'll see by the end. But, but Jonah blames this on God, even though he has yet to cry out to God until this moment. The sailors hurled him in the water because that was the only option Jonah gave them. Here these people are that don't know the Lord, the creator of the heaven or the land and the sea. And, and Jonah says, hurl me in. That's the only way to appease this God. So what do they do? They try and appease the God that they are exceedingly afraid of when they first encounter him. And so Jonah saying, you cast me into the deep is a little bit, it's technically true because Jonah's in the deep because um, he heard the word of the Lord and went away from it. But, but really, there, it's a challenge here because Jonah is blaming this on God. And I don't think we should be blaming this on God. And then Jonah says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, this gets more confusing because holy temple, that's the place of the presence of God. And so when Jonah says, I was driven away from your sight, Jonah right here is trying to say, Lord, you drove me away. But but how on earth did Jonah, how on earth did the Lord drive him away when Jonah fled the presence of the Lord? So there's some problems as we read through this. We're seeing Jonah's prayer. I, I know it's kind of kind of rude to criticize someone's prayer, um, but we're going to criticize Jonah's prayer a lot. Uh, and the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. Now, the, the temple of the Lord is up on a mountain. It's the holy hill. It, it's, it's up high. And so being at the roots of the mountains is the furthest place from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah's down there. And then it goes on to say, um, the water or, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and, in, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah' starting to say things a little bit better here. And, and those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have bowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's, it's really powerful um, until we think about it. Um, because Jonah in this moment, and again, I'm being really hard on Jonah, but let me promise you that the text is trying to be very hard on Jonah. Uh, Jonah in this moment is saying, Lord, you've saved me. But then at the end, his last couple lines, but with a voice of thanksgiving, will I sacrifice to you? What did the sailors do when they first encountered God? They sacrificed and made vows to him. Jonah is in the belly of a whale because he would not turn and repent. And now he's forced to. Um, When it says, what I have vowed I will pay, um, one Hebrew scholar argues that what it should say here is, please let me make a vow. Please let me pay what I owe you. Jonah's prayer here is one of, fine, I'll obey. Because salvation comes from you. Um, what what's really interesting in this moment in the book of Jonah is that jo- I I picture Jonah in this morning as a teenager. Now if you're if you're a parent in here, you've probably had a, a, a if you've got older kids, you've probably had to say the phrase phrase my house my rules. And then your teenage child has had to reconcile that it is your house, they are your rules, and they just kind of have to obey. Or they need to figure out how to move out. But my house, my rules. I kind of think Jonah right now is, is saying, alright, fine. I'll obey you. Because I have to. Let me out of this fish, please, Lord. I've been here three days and three nights and I'm still not dead. And so if I'm going to be stuck here forever, I guess I'd rather obey you. That's kind of how I read this. And I think the Lord reads it the same way because the very next verse, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. The language here is funny because Jonah, or the the text could have said, and the Lord moved Jonah closer to Nineveh, and the the Lord appointed the fish to take Jonah to the shores of Nineveh or something, and it could have just avoided that word vomit, but that word vomit had to be there because the Lord, I think, is trying to to show us through this, all right, I'm going to let him obey, but like, I mean, I think there's, I, I think that that's a part of this story. And. And it goes on, and so now we've, we've covered the first page, chapters 1 and 2, and now chapter 3, we kind of start over from the beginning, but with a lot more backstory of Jonah. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. That's a good start. According to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city city. This word is so hard to translate this section where it says exceedingly great. um, In the Hebrew, there's the idea it, it was a great city, a great city to God, not a great city that worshiped God. But when God looked at this great city, he saw that it was great in size. So this city is large enough to be noted. And on top of being an exceedingly great city, the city is three days journey in breadth. If you wanted to walk through the whole city, it would take you three days to make that journey. And, and Jonah in this moment, he, Jonah begins to go into the city and he goes in a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the prophet Jonah finally fulfills his mission, but I got to criticize them a little bit more um, because in this moment, there's some really important things happening. Um, A lot of times Jonah is pictured as he walks through the city, crying this out, but, um, the text really slows down to focus on the fact that it's a three days journey and then really slows down to focus. Oh, go back, please. Sorry. Um, and then focus is on Jonah begin to go into the city and goes a day's journey. The, the the language here is Jonah walks in and he gets into about this day's journey and he looks around and says, this is good enough. And then Jonah says five words. It says a lot of words in the English, but it's yet 40 days Nineveh overthrown. Jonah says five words. And if the Hebrew text is to be believed, which I believe it is, um, Jonah says five words one time. Jonah walks into the city of Nineveh. He goes about a day's journey and he goes, this is probably far enough. I told the Lord I'd come here. I rose to fulfill his mission. Now I'm going to say these five words and I'm going to get out of here. Yet 40 days, Nineveh, overthrown. And, and he says those words and then the people believed in God. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. There's a lot of fun things happening here where we see a contrast. When Jonah first rose at the start of the story to flee from the Lord, the, the language is so fast. It's so terse. It's, it's uh, Jonah fled, left, went, Joppa, go. It's very quickly. And here the king of Nineveh hears this message of five words from a prophet he's never met before. And he immediately, he stands. He doesn't even move away from his throne. He stands, takes off his robe, puts on sackcloth, sits down at the foot of his throne and repents and then issues a proclamation. When I read this and think about it, if I could walk in here and say five words, and you guys would be like, that's a great message for this Sunday. Let's all repent. Let's all believe in God in a greater way. I think that would be the most amazing thing in the world. And Jonah is a prophet standing among a people, and he says five words and watches as they believe. And the proclamation of the king of Nineveh is amazing. The king of Nineveh has no idea what God this is. The king of Nineveh just knows that they've been told, we will be overthrown in 40 days. Yet, 40 days, Nineveh, overthrown. And and the king repents and calls on everyone in the city to repent. The the proclamation of the king is this. By the decree of the king and his nobles. And the translation for nobles is the best one we have. But it's the king and the great ones. The great ones. By the king and the great ones. The greatest and least of Nineveh on the same page in, in repentance. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is an amazing moment. A pagan king who is the highest authority in his kingdom hears this message of five words and says we need to stop everything, not just men. I have the power to tell man and beast not to eat and to put on sackcloth and to cry out to God. And we are all going to do that. We must turn from our evil way. All at five words from Jonah, yet 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. And, and when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it and and it goes on uh, the, it, it starts to get real difficult um, to talk about Jonah because at this point, um, Jonah is a hard prophet to talk about because of his wickedness and and Jonah here um, is is insanely wicked i don 't know how else to describe his wickedness, except it 's over the top to the point of how on earth could you say this Jonah says in this moment but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and and what's really interesting is this word for it displeased Jonah exceedingly the the Hebrew language it's hard to put this into English but what Jonah says in this moment is he said what he essentially says what the Lord did here was evil in the eyes of Jonah The prophet of the Lord who delivered the message that led to the repentance of a whole people, who is still standing a day's journey in the city, sees what happens and he says, This is evil, God. And and other translations, I've got one in here um, that, that really focuses on the idea of, and Jonah saw, what Jonah saw was greatly evil and he was incensed. Jonah is so angry in this moment that he is just livid and he in this moment Jonah sees all these people repenting and Jonah could tell them I see you repenting let me tell you about Yahweh let me tell you about the Lord but instead Jonah in this moment is angry and Jonah who spent three days in the belly of a whale before he prayed when he sees people repent he becomes angry and he becomes angry enough to pray and he prayed to the Lord and said oh Lord is not this Is is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. When Jonah sees the Ninevites repent, and turn to God and turn from their evil ways, his response is to tell God, this is why I didn't want to come here. It is so wicked in this moment. Let us never be like Jonah, because Jonah sees people repenting, and his response is to say, God, this is why I didn't want to be here. I know you're merciful. I know you're gracious. I know you're abounding in steadfast love. I know you are patient. I know you relent from disaster. So darn it, Lord, why did you send me here? I would rather be dead. Hurl me in the ocean. Kill me now. Just don't let me live in a world where your mercy extends to these people. And that's wicked. And Jonah, in this moment, um, he's very angry. And he's still in the city. It's important to note he's still in the city. He's seeing this repentance happening. And he finally prays to God. And the Lord's response to him Do you do well to be angry? It's such a a funny statement. The Lord is like, are you good and mad, Jonah? Is this a good thing right now? Are your emotions in check, Jonah? What's going on here? God is challenging Jonah's anger. And Jonah leaves the city. And, and, And Jonah leaves the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he would see what became of the city. Now it's important to note here that when the text says he fled to the or not fled when he left and went to the east of the city, Nineveh was east of Israel, and so Jonah, who at the start of the story fled from the presence of the Lord, which would be the temple, um, and that would be the starting point of the presence of the Lord, he now flees to the far side of Nineveh, farther from the Lord. Jonah in this moment—it's a little thing, but it's really important to note that, that God did uh, Jonah did not want to come to Nineveh. In the first place, and now Jonah's going to hang out at Nineveh, farther from the presence of the Lord. and, and that, uh, it says he sat under the shade in a booth, like so he would have made himself like a little shelter, and um, what we know from the next verses is Jonah didn't do a good job because now the Lord God appointed another appointment of the Lord, a plant that made it and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was greatly happy. I'm so grateful for this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down. The sun attacked the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Again, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. The same words when he saw the repentance of the Ninevites, he now says when the sun beats down on his head because the vine is gone. And the Lord uh, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Is, Is this anger right, Jonah? Are you good and mad about the plant? Is that a good thing to be mad about right now? And Jonah's response to him is, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's response right now is so ridiculous. He's, he's so angry. He's like, Lord, kill me. The, the same way I've been asking you to take my life because these people repented. If you're not going to give me shade and I'm going to be discom- or uncomfortable, please take my life. I'd rather not live right now. I'm angry enough to die because I don't have shade. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, and, and it's in this moment that, that we come to just, the, the fun and beautiful and silly end of this story. And, and the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, this, this vine was here for less than 24 hours, and you're angry enough to die over it. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle it's it's a it's a very funny end because you this the, you you just expect there to be a verse 12 here of Jonah responding you expect something this is a really end, weird end um, Jonathan Kay, who's at Iowa State told me that this type of story should never end in a question mark and he had a lot to say about that when we talked about it in youth ministry, but it's such a funny moment because that's a really weird and abrupt ending to a story, but it goes back to a bigger idea. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh because he was uncomfortable with the idea that the Ninevites would experience the mercy of the gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah did not want them to experience that so much so that Jonah was willing to go out of his way to try and die because Jonah fled the presence of the Lord and said, just toss me in. And he only responded when he was resigned to the fact, I'm never going to get out of here if I don't. And and when the Lord responds to him here and says, there were 120 people in this city, should I not pity them? Should I not pity those that I have seen grow? The Lord who is in control of all things. If I am a God of grace and mercy, should I not extend that? to them. And that final line, the, and also much cattle, I called this sermon bovine mercy because bovine is cattle. Um, but, but in that final moment, um, when God says that, what God is saying is Jonah, the cows also cried out. Sure. And I have just relented for the cows, the, the cattle, they all had sackcloth on. They cried out to me too. If you don't love the Ninevites, can you at least love the cows? God, God is kind of like, I think it's like a, the mic drops. We don't know what What Jonah says at the end of this story, because the story ends here on purpose. As I was studying this, I was asked by a couple different people, do you think Jonah's in heaven? And I I am not authorized to answer that. I have no authority over that. But what I can tell you is we do not see any actions from Jonah in this story that would make me think this guy followed Yahweh brightly. We see a man who is ridiculously Anti the message of God. The Abrahamic covenant that you will be a blessing to all nations, Jonah is rejecting. He only wants Israel to be blessed. And when he's told you're going to go bless others, he refuses. And, and church, I want to talk to you as we close because Jonah is a ridiculous story because Jonah is a ridiculous man. But there's so many truths in this story. And the, the first one that I want to talk to you about is this. Are there people that you would be uncomfortable sitting next to in this building. And so you don't reach out to them. Are there people that we don't extend mercy to? That we don't extend the the promise of God's mercy to? We don't tell them about who God is because we could not picture them in this building next to us. This is for us. This is for our people. We have our thing. Jonah in this story is trying to run away from the idea of a God who loves people who don't look and act and think like Jonah. Jonah. Their values are different and Jonah does not want them to be a part of what God is doing. And so if you can think of people, I want to encourage you to repent, call out, don't wait till you're at rock bottom, don't wait till you're in the belly of a fish, a great fish, three days in it before you cry out to God and say, Lord, I repent, let me go and share with them. It's so important that we believe in this. As I was reading this, I was really convicted when Jess and I lived downtown at Moody, we lived in a, 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 mar- or a building for the married couples that was on campus, um, and half the building was married couples, and the other half was, it's, it's, re- it's really weird to explain, but it's a bunch of old Russian people that are retired, that are, like, it's like, not Prop 8, it's t- title something, low-income housing, um, but But there was a woman that at one time we helped move, and after we helped her move, she made me so uncomfortable that if I saw her waiting for the elevator, I'd take the stairs, because I didn't want to be on the elevator with her. And I I just avoided her because she made me so uncomfortable, and it wasn't that I hated her, um, but it was that I I didn't really know how to act with her, and I, I would just kind of avoid her. And I was, as I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about there are many times in my life where I avoid what I should be doing. And I feel a prompt from the Spirit. I'm like, ah, it's not the right time. Or, or I, I see somebody that I'm like, well, I, I just can't imagine them following. So I'll go talk to them, but I won't mention the gracious God of mercy that I follow. If there are people right now that you can think of that you would be uncomfortable sitting next to that you regularly see, that you feel the Lord putting a calling on your heart, repent from not sharing with them about the God of mercy. The God of gracious love. The God of abounding love. The God who is relenting of disaster. Everyone needs that message. And so let us be a church that turns to them. And further, I want to tell you, the, the hardest part of Jonah is that Jonah's entire motive is his own comfort. And Jonah in this story does not have authority. When we talk about the word mercy, mercy implies authority. I cannot have mercy over someone on which I don't have authority because mercy requires me to be able to do something to them and to decide not to do it. I, I need to have authority, positional of some type over them if I am to extend mercy. Jonah in this story by God is not being asked to show the Ninevites mercy. He's not being asked to show the Ninevites grace or abounding love, or anything. He's being asked to go tell them regardless of how he feels about them. Jonah, you can hate the Ninevites, but you are going to deliver the message that I have told you. The, the five words of the story that Jonah says, yet 40 days, I, uh, Nineveh overturned. The, the, the funny thing in that, the word overturned there, I wish I wouldn't have ended on my pinky. Here, I'm going to, yet 40 days, Nineveh overthrown overthrown the word overthrown there at the end of that story or at the end of that sentence has has the meaning of destroyed of of utter destruction but it also has the meaning of utter transformation jonah goes in and does the minimum and god transforms these people they repent they relent and how much more amazing would that story be if when jonah saw the repentance he said let me tell you about this god Jonah does not have mercy to extend to these people. But imagine if after he's in the fish and he says salvation belongs to the Lord. Imagine if the next thing he did is when he goes in the city, he testifies. Hey, all of you, I hated you. And I got hurled into the ocean because of it. And a great fish swallowed me. But let me tell you about the God who extended his mercy even to me as I fled from his presence. There's such a better story here if Jonah would have followed after and seen these people as people that needed this message of God. The, the story of Jonah is a story of regardless of your comfort, you need to be pointing people to God. You need to be pointing people to his mercy, his grace, his, his patience with us, his steadfast love, and his willingness to relent from disaster. Many people say that our our God is a hateful God. The God of the Old Testament is hateful, and they're they're wrong. But when they say that, can't we be the people that tell them, the people that we think will never believe? Can't we just point out to them? It's not the the hateful God. It's it's the God who wants to relent from disaster, so turn to him. He does not want to destroy 120,000 people who are utterly wicked. He wants to give them the chance to be transformed. If you're feeling today a connection to Jonah, even a little bit, if you feel like I I can relate to him, I want to encourage you, this is not something to just go home and be like, I'll deal with it later. This isn't something to spend three days in a fish over. Pray and repent and start showing people that God whose mercy has been extended to you. Finally, as as we end, the last thing I want to tell you, um, we have a much better example than Jonah in Christ. Um, Because where Jonah went to the Ninevites, who were a wicked and sinful people, Jesus came to the earth to a wicked and sinful population. Everyone he interacted with was sinful. And what we see in every interaction with Christ is we see him challenge injustice. We see him heal, and we see him drive out demons. We see him bring a kingdom of grace and mercy. And so as we end this story, I want to tell you, to: if you feel more like Jonah than Jesus, then you need to start turning towards Jesus. Repent of your evil ways. God will relent of the disasters that will befall us when we turn away from Him, if we will just turn to Him. So I want to encourage you, as we leave, to be just reflecting on the grace and mercy we have received, and to follow after the God that's mercy extends even to the cows who call out to His name. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that you relent from disaster. We thank you that through your grace and mercy that we are not caught up in a disaster, but instead we can be those who follow after you. And we pray that where we feel more like Jonah than Jesus, that we would turn, we would repent, we would turn, we would not be worried about who you will bring, but we, despite our comfort level, would turn those who we see that need your mercy and grace towards you. We would point them towards you, that they could make a sacrifice and a vow to you, that they could repent, and that, your, that the disaster that should befall us all would be relented because we have turned to your grace and mercy. I pray as we go out that we would be people who follow after you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.